This show is a part of the FM Podcast Network, the home of great music podcasts. Visit us at fmpods.com. You are listening to the Dylan Ponce Podcast. Welcome to another segment of What Is It About Bob Dylan? I am with Laura Tencher. Grateful that she has taken time out of her busy schedule to sit and talk with me. Laura is the creator of Definitely Dylan. And if you don't know that, then you have been under a rock for the past few years. But it is a podcast about Bob Dylan's work and creative process. Uh, She earned her MA in Comparative Literary Studies from Goldsmiths University in London and dropped out of her PhD on Franz Kafka and language philosophy. She has a chapter on Dylan giving himself to the muse in Dylan at 80, a great chapter, everyone should read it, and has presented on Dylan at numerous conferences. She serves on the boards of the Dylan Institute, um, or the Institute of Bob Dylan Studies in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as well as the Dylan Review. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thank you for the lovely introduction. <laughs> I'm yeah. very pleased to be here. I was surprised that I could, you know, get all of your accomplishments in just a few sentences, but um, that gives us more time to chat. <laughs> so we'll start with the first question. What is it about Bob Dylan? This is such a huge question to begin with. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, I, I have been following the podcast, so I have been listening to other people answering the question and every time it inspires so many thoughts and I mean I don't know if you feel like that with podcasts but I so often want to jump in jump into the conversation and you know join in some capacity maybe that's why I have a podcast (laughs) so and, and I hope that and I hope that some of what I do kind of engenders the same kind of response from people hopefully but um yeah what is it about Bob Dylan I think to me he is to me he is an artist who has a certain aura that I just feel really drawn to and I think it's something that and I I really hope that people will know what I'm getting at with this but uh, to me there's something mystical about what he does and his appeal that I'm picking up on Uh, and I think that he himself has recognized that because he's spoken about feeling called to this work feeling uh you know a metaphysical dimension to what he does he talks about the deal that he's made with the chief commander and and I think that this is something that kind of radiates in his work and to me it's you know there's there's a spiritual component to all great art and in in essence I think what I keep coming back to in how I feel about art, how I think about art and how I write about it is to me, art is really about fostering empathy and it's about sharing your unique view on life, the the world, and hoping that this gives people something to relate to, to resonate with and to disagree with. This is something that I really loved about the philosophy of modern song, because I think that's really what Bob Dylan is also writing about uh, this, this uh, role of art to be a common ground via which we can communicate and find common ground or find something to disagree about. To me, Bob Dylan is just an artist that 
speaks to me on all these levels and touches on a lot of themes that I find really just fascinating. And and then also, I mean, like, I admire his work ethic. I admire his determination. And, mm-hmm. and I find it really inspiring to see an artist who has such a clear vision that he has been following for decades now. And not deviating from it, too. Yeah. But at the same time, also never shying away from changing his mind. Uh, right. And, and, and I think what's, what's so unique, really, with an artist like Dylan, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that he is the only artist who we have been able to follow through the decades, but he is one of the few artists that has been active for, you know, six plus decades now with a steady output, with work that has remained relevant, has remained, um, you, it, it never felt like he had fully checked out, you know, even in the 80s, which relates <laughs> to the panel that, that you were doing in Tulsa. But, uh, you know, maybe he didn't have quite the connection to the muse that he had in other decades, but you can tell he was still, uh, he, he was still committed to what he was doing and he was still searching. And I think it's just, right. it, it's incredible to have such documentation of a life, of an artistic life dedicated to the creative process and to see it go from a young man who is hungry for experiences through someone settling down, starting a family and then reevaluating his life and finding out, well, actually, this maybe isn't the end of life. There's mm-hmm. a lot more spiritually to be discovered um there's a you know a purpose to be sought and to just have that documentation up to now him being an aging artist and still working on processing that and processing you know what it's like to be old and what that means and how that relates to what he's doing and so I find that also just really um absolutely fascinating to have an artist's life just laid out like that. Thank you. I love that answer. So what is your Bob Dylan origin story? And I think I've heard this, but share it with all of us. Yeah, my my origin story is that I um, fell in love with the song Every Grain of Sand Mm -hmm. because my music teacher at the time gave me a cassette copy of Shot of Love because he sometimes asked asked me to sing in church (laughs) because, Mm -hmm. you know, that was one of the few places where you could sing in Switzerland, rural Switzerland where I grew up. And um, he basically gave me a cassette of Shot of Love and said, you should listen to that last song, Every Grain of Sand. I bet you didn't think a harmonica could sound like that. And I put it on and I just, I was completely drawn in. The thing is, I, I would love to say that I immediately recognized all the things that make Bob Dylan special that I just spoke about. I would love to say that it was the lyrics that drew me in. But the fact is, I was still learning English at the time. And I'm sure that I didn't understand half of what he was singing. But I actually think that there is something quite sweet about that, because that also highlights that Bob Dylan's draw is so much more than just the lyrics. Because Obviously, I was drawn to something. I was drawn to the voice. I was drawn to the phrasing. And I don't know, the the, the mood of the song, which I 
you know, to this day is one of my favorites. And I, I do think that looking back, I feel like there's something to be said about the power of music that transcends language that captured me before mm -hmm. I even understood the lyrics. And at the same time, this song is also one that has grown in meaning alongside my own life. You know, as, as I get older, I keep seeing different sides to the song, I keep recognizing different aspects and, you know, the lyrics. I think uh, that's, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, 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 I'm just saying, you know, now that I uh, also, you know, once I understood the lyrics almost from a, on, on a language level, that's one thing. But obviously, as you get older, you relate to the lyrics differently as you start to understand them with more life experience. So I think, too, that he does that and we and he gives that he allows us the space to do that as fans that, you know, all of us who do this are obsessives. And so we are mostly lifelong fans, but we have, you know, the 12 year old me that was listening to Bob Dylan is much different than the 49 year old me who is listening to Bob Dylan and I mm -hmm. have different experiences. And so the song has grown that conversation that I'm having with the, the music, the lyrics, the performance, the phrasing is changing. And I think that's kind of what you are alluding to, mm -hmm. but even your presentation on Mondo Scripto, which I loved in Tulsa, you know, I love the philosophy of modern song. Um, but that, I think opens up the idea that he is, re, you know, having different mm -hmm. experiences and re-engaging his work. So, will you now? I'm, I, I told you there would be, and you even said they were going to go in different directions. <laughs> but will you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I think that mm -hmm. that speaks to what you were just saying and how you think he's revisiting his work. Absolutely, I think performance is so crucial to who Bob Dylan is as an artist. And um, I think it's also related to something we said earlier, because I think it's also in performance that we see and hear evidence of the physical Bob Dylan in his aging body, in his changing body, the changing voice. And um, I think in a way, you know, his writing is a counterpoint to that one would think as something that stands and doesn't change. But then Bob Dylan is obviously re revisiting his songs and reworking them. And I had always assumed that it was through performance that he would be moved to rework his songs because maybe he was singing it in rehearsal and then realized, actually, I want to change this line, you know, that, mm. um, that this, reworking or revaluation of his lyrics would be tied to performance but then mondo scripto proves this assumption wrong and i also want to say i mean i was i am super interested in mondo scripto and for maybe those people who don't know this is a series of bob dylan's visual art where he has handwritten copies of his lyrics and they are juxtaposed or presented alongside graphite drawings and every drawing illustrates a specific image from the lyrics and there are I think around like vaguely around 60 songs some in more than one iteration and 
a few of them have rewritten lyrics and some of them he has performed live, but a lot of them he hasn't performed live. So um, this is this has just really made me think about this process of rewriting the lyrics and the way in which that itself constitutes a creative act, obviously. In Mondescripto, it's interesting because this creative act is one that we really only get to experience on the page when we look at these specific artworks. That's what I find really interesting. And also the fact that this leaves something to the imagination in the sense that because they only appear in writing, we are left to imagine what they might sound like if they were performed. Because right. presumably Bob Dylan will never perform the four different rewritten versions of Shelter from the Storm. So right. those will only appear in writing. So that's that's what I find really interesting. We are having this conversation, I think, in the greater Dylanverse, as Nina Goss calls it. And she told me I need <laughs> to get out more because I told her I quote her a lot. But um, <laughs> but about what happens when he stops touring. Mm -hmm. And we have that finite cap on his performance life, that creative life. And I'm wondering, you know, I don't think it's the end of his creativity. So maybe you can speak to that because you've just said something so beautiful about Mondo Scripto and that creative process. Well, I think that's a really interesting question. One that I have actually thought about because, I mean, this is all obviously just a guess. Right. And I could I could also see it being that Bob Dylan will literally not stop touring until infinity <laughs> right right uh, but I could see a few things happening and one of them I was thinking about when I was listening to Shadow Kingdom the other day where I thought maybe he could just record one-off performances of songs instead of going out and recording them and just recording moments in time because that's in my opinion what he what draws him to performance, this idea to capture a moment in time mm -hmm. in performance. So I don't know, maybe if for some reason he's not able to tour anymore, but he doesn't want to give up the performance element, maybe the recording studio could present a new opportunity. Or he'll give us another virtual conference yeah. that, or concert that is a concert and not a recording. That would be interesting. Yeah. You know, I was just talking to David this morning about um, we were both at the DC show and one of my favorite moments from that show, um, I turned my head for a moment when he came out and he sat on the amp for Melancholy mm -hmm. Mood. Mm -hmm. And you were much closer than I was, but I had a moment of panic because I thought something was wrong with him. Something had happened to him that he sat down and, and I asked Jim Salvucci, I said, first, I couldn't find him on the stage. I said, where did Dylan go? And then I found him, I said, is he okay? But then he had that beautiful performance of Melancholy Mood. And I, I don't know if you remember it the same way, but I was just, like you're saying, and that being in the moment with Dylan and mm -hmm. sharing that, it's just, that was a really, for some reason, an, a moment fraught with anxiety, but also incredibly special because of, you know, once I realized he was so okay, the performance was just beautiful. I do remember that moment. <laughs> and I particularly remember because that was the last show of the first leg of the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour. Right. And in the weeks leading up to it, like throughout the tour, people had been talking about his physical appearance and that sometimes he didn't appear steady on his feet, that he had to hold on right. to things. That was mm -hmm. before we learned that he had vertigo. Maybe that played a role. Um, 
but <laughs> I forgot about the vertigo. Yeah. And and in DC, he came out to center stage at mm-hmm. during almost every song, right? He was right. he was performing directly to the audience, which really made it one of the most special shows that I've seen. Um, just because it felt so like he was in communion with the audience. And that specific moment during Melancholy Mood, I found special because to me, it seemed like he was taking a step back to let the band shine for a moment. But then also, I remember him sitting down on the amp and I had this moment where I thought, he's 80 years old. Is someone going to help him up? You know, this was a very (laughs) low amp. But yeah. he just he just jumped back up and walked center stage and started singing. And I thought, this man is actually in really good shape <laughs> because I know people a lot younger who would have had trouble getting up from such a low seat. Right. And so I don't know. I, I definitely remember that moment and thinking about it and kind of being a, a short moment of anxiety as well, where I thought, I hope right. he's okay. But he was. So <laughs> yeah. So we've deviated a little. I want to go to the question. So in the description of Definitely Dylan, mm-hmm. you write that you bring a fresh modern feminist perspective to the exploration of the work of Bob Dylan and its relevance in our current time. So again, I can't imagine that there's anyone who is listening to this who isn't familiar with you and your work, but can you tell me more about your approach to Dylan and, and you know, the, the follow-up is how we keep him and, you know, how we keep him current in or relevant in our current time yeah hmm. first of I all I think for yeah I think for us like we he keeps himself relevant but for other folks I mean how yeah. how do we achieve that to be fair I don't think anyone needs any outside perspective to <laughs> to, to to understand Bob Dylan and like why he's relevant and so on and uh, every once in a while you come across people who really like to dismiss when people talk about Bob Dylan, because they say, you know, I just want to listen to his songs. I don't need anyone telling me what it means. And I think that's fair. You know, I don't I don't think any outside voices are needed to understand great art. And I think we all relate to it in our own way. And, you know, I, I don't think any commentary is necessary at all. But I also think that it's fun to talk about it. And it's fun to hear what other people are thinking about it, how they perceive it. So that's always where I'm coming from. And I I think this tagline from a fresh modern feminist (laughs) perspective is so like hearing hearing it read back to me, I just think it's so earnest, you know? (laughs) It's um but but you know, I guess that's I guess that's who I am. I am is it so pre-pandemic? Is that what it is? It's like Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And and also I think it's just um, you know, just charging ahead, like trying to tell people like my mission. But you know, I I I hope that no one has been put off by uh you know the earnestness and maybe seriousness of that definition. But really, especially because I never try to shoehorn any feminist theory into my work you know I I, maybe that's what some people are afraid of but I think really what it is is I'm aware that my approach to Bob Dylan is through a lens that's informed by my experiences and you know I'm coming at it as a white cis middle class millennial woman And 
that just informs what I see in his songs. And right. I have always been kind of clamoring for the need for more female voices and really what it is is that I've so much about Bob Dylan has been said and written by men and I think often we have well historically there's this idea that something that's said by a white man is universally like it's universal Right. You know, that that it's almost like white men don't bring their own experiences to what they're saying, but that's neutral. That's a neutral perspective. And as someone who has read like so much about Bob Dylan written by men and who has seen so many blind spots in their writing, all I'm saying is if we want a more nuanced understanding of this great artist who has been so incredibly influential and so culturally relevant in so many ways. We need people from different backgrounds to share their experience and what they see, because that will give us a more nuanced understanding of the art. Right. And so that's really what, what I've been saying by saying, you know, we need more women. We also really need more people of color um, because it's, it's actually crazy to think how few, you know, black scholars or black fans have written about Bob Dylan, an artist who has drawn so much on, you know, black music. Right. So it's 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 just, you know, I'd love to I'd love to read more about that. But yeah, so I just think that there are a lot of perspectives that have been untapped or not heard from enough. And I just think we can all benefit from having more of them. So that's, I mean, I guess that's, that's where I'm coming from. I, I also think the generational thing also has an impact, you know? So right. that's, I guess that's what I was trying to say about the modern feminist perspective. I mean, they're now, <laughs> like, thankfully <laughs> they're now people younger than me talking about mm -hmm. Dylan too, but, you know, when I was starting out in 2018, it felt like I was the the spring chicken among people talking about Bob Dylan. And, I, you know, I was, I'm, I'm not anymore <laughs> in, in no way, shape or form, but luckily. There are many things that I have many follow ups, but even as a as an exer, I have boomers saying to me, well, he's our generation. Why are you interested in him? OK. Yeah. Sit down. <laughs> Let's have a conversation. But there is, you know, I'm reading through the proofs for the book that we're both, you know, you, you contributed to. And there is a lot that, you know, in Grayley's chapter, he mentions you you pushing back against, um, you know, about against certain authors and mm -hmm. their their misogyny. And you've talked about that in your interview in the Dylan, the Dylan Review. Um, and I loved that you said that something that I, I agree with. Maybe that's why I loved it. Um, but the female perspective is not a monolithic or singular mm -hmm. perspective. And so having many different um, female voices or diversifying Dylan studies. And then I also know that I am walking a fine line here and talking like to white middle-class cisgender women talking about, you know, racial diversification in, in Bob Dylan studies is a little bit, you know, questionable as well. But I want to hear all of those voices because there's a picture of who Bob Dylan is. And mm -hmm. 
for us to fully understand as much as we can, we need everyone to participate in that conversation. And so I love that, you know, when you say, I love talking to women about Bob Dylan, me too. Um, <laughs> and then I was noticing that, you know, the behind the shades, I'll, I'll take a shot at Clinton Haven. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a line written about a woman. So mm-hmm. is don't look back. She's mm-hmm. got everything she needs. She's an artist. She don't look back. And yeah. it's been, so I, we owe a great debt of gratitude to those men who came before us, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. Absolutely. And and I, I don't want to seem disrespectful, but I also feel that um, we need younger folks. And I'm so grateful for Rebecca Slayman and everything she's doing and the folks in that circle and for what you're doing, because I think that it, it's adding so much to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I just think it's, hmm, how do I, how do I say this? You know, one of the people that I have thought about a lot when I was still at university is Walter Benjamin, Walter Benjamin. And mm-hmm. he, uh, he he has this essay, The Task of the Translator, where he writes about how um, translations need to be, you know, translations are usually not eternal. The, the art that the original text is eternal, but translations, because languages keep changing, you know, need to be mm-hmm. renewed and redone. And I think, The same is true for criticism. You know, Bob Dylan's work itself is constantly renewing itself. And I think it's up to us and every generation to find a new way to relate to it and to figure out in what ways the work is now relevant to their lives. And I really like, because you mentioned Rebecca Slayman, that she was recently on Pod Dylan and talked about how she felt that like a Rolling Stone really spoke to her in the time after the pandemic, you know, when she and like her generation were trying to figure out like where they stood and so on. So that is, that is one example. It's a great interview and everyone should listen to it. <laughs> I yeah. just want to plug Rebecca's work. Definitely. But, yeah. And, but, but I think, but I think that that's why, um, the people who have written so in depth about Bob Dylan, like, you know, the Clinton Halens, the Michael Gray is the, Paul Real Williams, Marcus. <laughs> Real Marcus, Paul Williams. I, I will always shout from the rooftops that I think Paul Williams is mm-hmm. still incredible and to me holds up, you know, to this day. I really, you know, I, those people, those those men were really essential to my development as someone thinking about Bob Dylan. And it's it's also a fact that if I hadn't read some th- some passages in Clinton Halen that I vehemently disagree with, maybe I wouldn't have articulated those thoughts, you know, because it wouldn't have been necessary to articulate them. So I think that's, it's, it's always a conversation and it's an internal conversation and those works are really important. And I think I, I still think they should be read because they formulated a lot of things for the first time. But I think it's important that we're also aware that those are narratives that these men created and I think it's also our I don't know if duty but I think it's it's up to us and it's we have the permission to challenge those narratives and point out that those are merely narratives and not facts and I think one of the things that um I agree with you that is so wonderful about your work is that you have opened up the possibility because of your 
confidence to challenge Clinton Halen, which a lot of folks would not have have done because we, you know, we we are well behaved, I guess, and we didn't want to really overtly question. But you did, and you gave us that space to to question those narratives and to present the, you know, alternative or parallel or apocryphal, um, you know, interpretation of Dylan. And that's an incredible gift that you've given to Dylan studies. Wow. That's, I mean, that's a huge compliment. Thank you very much. I just, I remember, I I mean, I had pointed out certain bits and pieces that I thought were, you know, not okay in, for example, Clinton Halen's writing. But I also, I also remember that when I spoke in Tulsa in 2019 and I, you know, I just, because I spoke about everything we're talking about, essentially, you know, why it's important that we have different voices, right. where we have a diversity of voices talking about Bob Dylan, in part so that we recognize past narratives that are either outdated or were never really okay, um, and right. that certain ideas need to be challenged. But I think, I think like afterwards, a lot of people were basically just like, oh, this is the, this is the woman who criticized Clinton Halen, Ooh. you know, and and I, I am really aware that this is not necessarily what I want to be known for, you know, because I don't right. think I, because I don't really think I, I need that to, you know, I don't, I don't want it to be just kind of outrage content or whatever, and, um, or for people to think I'm writing Clinton Halen's coattails by criticizing him or anything like that. I don't know if you, I don't even know if you want to put that in, but like that's. We can, we, uh, there are several times in every podcast that I say we can edit, David will edit that out. (laughs) And sometimes he does. But I I think that because I have a different experience of that being on, Mm -hmm. you know, in the audience and um, that it was invigorating, you know, that there were some people who really did feel that you were, you know, taking a shot at Halen. But a lot of us were just like, you know, kind of looking at each other, this is brilliant. This is, you know, they, these are things that we've all thought, but haven't said out loud. And you did, you said it for us. And, you know, I think, especially as, as an older generation than you, we've been taught to to be respectful of mm-hmm. the, the folks that came before us. And you showed us a way that we can still be respectful, but also question that, you know, that mm-hmm. authority to move the conversation forward. Um, and so wow. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. That means a whole lot. So we're leaving it in. <laughs> <laughs> so I am, I don't know where to go with the next question because we're out of order now. But um, so I do want to just ask this question. So in your Dylan mm-hmm. Review interview, because I thought this was funny, um, you said you're a recovering academic. What yeah. does that mean? And I, <laughs> I love that, <laughs> that you're a recovering academic. So I studied comparative literature and I... I left, I dropped out of my PhD because I, I was frustrated with academia, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I felt like, you know this, like once you're in right. academia for a while, you kind of see behind the scenes and you realize mm-hmm. how rigid a lot of things are. Independent thought isn't always as welcome as it should be. And there's a lot of politics and playing games and so on. I just... I was just kind of tired of it. And I realized that this is not really what I wanted to pursue as a career. And then I was like, well, then why am I doing a PhD? But at the same time, I, I loved doing research and thinking about things deeply. You know, that's the, that's the part that I really liked. When I decided to drop out of my PhD, I 
had this wonderful opportunity to to start a radio show and I didn't immediately bring the two together but it turned out that that really gave me an opportunity to almost channel a lot of that energy uh, mm-hmm. into something that was joyful didn't have any outside pressure I literally could talk about whatever I wanted to talk about <laughs> and it was all revol- revolving around Bob Dylan which is just I mean to this day it just feels like that was one of the you know one it's 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 one of the most wonderful things that have happened to me I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I could do that so grateful that it found listeners that it found an audience that it initially found a home at a London radio station that let me talk about Bob Dylan for an hour every week it's just you know thinking back I just I love that they took a chance on this and and also just to fully throw myself into a project that was just joyful after after dropping out of my PhD it took me a while to approach reading as a fun activity I I'm going to be really honest with you I haven't read Kafka since dropping out of my PhD you know, someone who was so important to me, who I spent so much time with, and I haven't gone back. I had a similar experience that once I finished my degree, I spent four years away from reading about, like, reading Dylan. I listened to him. I mm. saw shows, but I mean, not as I wasn't as active. And so that four years was just a drought for me. But good yeah. night. Like, I just, I was so just saturated and it's good to be saturated and you know by Dylan but it was just the formality of it that it did feel like a chore where now I don't feel that pressure I understand completely yeah yeah um but basically I I think I obviously bring the tools that I acquired at university to Mm -hmm. what I do you know I'm I studied literature that's especially comparative literature. So I bring a lot of that to what I do. But at the same time, I and I, I'd be curious to hear your opinion on this. I do see a certain divide between kind of academic studies of Bob Dylan and then kind of more popular writings on Bob Dylan, even though they cover such similar ground sometimes and really right. the, the, the difference sometimes is just the register of language. You know, that the... the accessibility of terms and theory and language and I mean I will say that that was something that I you know I made a conscious decision to make what I do hopefully accessible to a wider audience and to make it somewhat entertaining and I mean obviously this is (laughs) partly subjective and you know I have had one star reviews of the podcast to say oh she's like a professor it's like it's boring it's like okay fine (laughs) you know it's it's not gonna you know it's not gonna be for everyone but um you know I, I try to I try to do what I find interesting and and that will always draw on what I learned you know what I what I gained from going to university, being able to study and so on. So, but I hope that I can also kind of be a little, I don't, I don't want to say like a teacher or whatever, but like I hope that I hope that I can communicate some of the things that I learned and apply them and bring them to people who maybe don't have a master's in comparative literature. <laughs> but I think there's something to that that you can, and Dylan invites us to live an intellectual life. I mean, 
I don't know that there, maybe there are some casual Dylan fans, but they're more, you know, people who, once they engage with Dylan, they're engaging at a very deep level and Mm -hmm. they're living a more intellectual and interesting, in my opinion, life. And so what you're saying, like, yeah, I think the register of the language and the use of theory is probably different among the more strict academics. But I think that you know, artistic and intellectual engagement is common among all Dylan fans, whether it's more, you know, it's more the, um, you know, the academic side or the other side. And I think for me, at least there's space for everyone and Mm -hmm. we need as many voices as possible. But I I get frustrated when um, I had the experience when I first said I wanted to write on Bob Dylan Mm -hmm. um, with all due respect, and I won't name names, but the, the advisor said, isn't that trendy? And I said, and mm-hmm. I thought, well, how many books about Abraham Lincoln can you write? Because mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> the yeah. professor was a Lincoln scholar. And I just thought, no. And I said, thank you for your time. And I went to a different advisor. Mm-hmm. But um, I I feel like the Nobel Prize should have legitimized him in the, the academy that this is really a legitimate field of study. And it's it's gaining traction there. But I want I would love for people in 400 years, if the earth is still here. Yeah. To, uh, <laughs> that's a, you know an asterisk for people to be discussing Dylan and having disagreements and conversations the same way we do about Shakespeare yeah yeah but and also I think it's important to remember you know Bob Dylan didn't spend very much time at college nope. you know he dropped out and so I, I do think it's important I understand why there are different levels of you know, Dylan's study, mm-hmm. because he himself bridges that gap between high and low art. And he, you know, he he in many ways kind of did away with that division. Right. And I mean, if you look at his influences, you know, on rough and rowdy ways, he quotes Homer and the classics and Moliere. And but then also there's so much popular culture in it as well. So he really he draws from such a variety of influences and it's high and low and everything in between. And so I think we also should approach his work in this way, you know, that doesn't draw these firm lines saying, you know, this is only for academics and this is only for the fan forums and so on. And I mean, to be honest, that's why I do think that mediums like podcasts, Substack, um, you know, even Twitter, whatever you want to call it, uh, are so important because they make the conversation accessible to everyone, anyone who wants to participate. So it's, I, I, I do think that there's a, th- that division becomes more and more negligible. And I think right. it's a good thing. It's an artificially created division because there are people who, like you were saying, who don't have a master's or an advanced degree who are producing brilliant work that shouldn't be, you know, like it's just an art. I think they're just people who want to stay in their little enclave and claim Mm -hmm. some sort of, you know, some, some sort of legitimacy that maybe, you know, we need to break those walls down a little bit little bit more and I think they are breaking down you're right they're more negligible now as we see in 2019 at the conference or we saw that and then 2023 Mm -hmm. I I do absolutely love that that yeah beautiful mix of folks and I also think that I think the what makes academic conferences or you know let me let me try and see how I put this I think academic study of a certain subject is 
often necessitated because there is a need for very specialized study. And with someone like Bob Dylan, who was already being dissected by fans before he had a firm hold in academia, I think that, yeah, that division just isn't as, you know, that's that's not as necessary because (laughs) there is already such a specialized discussion going on. I agree. Ah, oh, it's so easy. All right, so I want to talk about, um, maybe we've, we've talked about this. So he's, Dylan is often asserted about his songs and about songs in general that they're not meant to be read, but heard. Mm-hmm. And you may have covered this in Mondo Scripto. Most notably, perhaps he expressed this in his Nobel lecture and recently in the philosophy of modern song. So is it possible to study lyrics as poetry without the music? And do they stand alone as poetry? I think they can be discussed as poetry. But I don't think they are ever just poetry. Mm-hmm. I think we can. I think we can write about them. But I also, but in, in the same way that we can only write about the performance side, I guess. But neither is showing <laughs> us the whole, the, the the full picture. Yeah. Right, so, right. I mean, with an artist like you know, th- there's so much to be said about the nuances in Dylan's performance, as mm-hmm. well as the intricacy of his lyrics or the beauty of his lyrics it's I understand why someone m- might feel more confident with a certain approach I'm just looking over at my um bookshelf and I see Christopher Rick Dylan's Visions of Sin which mm-hmm. is a great book but he is not writing about performance at all no but but there's still a lot in the books that's very insightful and has given me a lot to think about but I just think it's not the it's not it's not necessarily the complete picture Agreed. You know, I was thinking about this too, and I meant to say it earlier, that every grain of sand, I actually think the that lyric change from the bootleg um, mm-hmm. hanging in the balance of a perfect finish plan rather mm-hmm. than the reality of man, um, that that change is so it's so small, but it's so significant. Yeah. And it reminded me of the now that we have fragments too, um, just this idea that. He changed um, in not dark yet. Can't even, you know, um, he doesn't hear a murmur of a prayer, mm-hmm. and he and that that replaced. He's waiting for the master to take to bring him back, mm-hmm. you know, that, mm-hmm. and to to guide him back. And mm-hmm. I mean, it just shows, you know, how he. In one case, he's like the reality of man is probably, you know, not that positive. Maybe that's how I look at it, um, but it's all temporal and. Um, we, we do horrible things to each other as human beings, especially in context of that song. I'm talking too much now, but he mm. also, it, it does add to not dark, not dark yet, that there is just this weight that he feels. And it's, I mean, just watching that process happen um, when you were talking about him revi- revising the, mm-hmm. the lyrics, it made me think of that. But yeah, it was just a note that I have, just a side note. <laughs> so no, it works. So true. Yeah, it's beautiful. He has these moments where he's just kind of like, you know, that something as beautiful as the original composition still isn't finished to him. And he has mm-hmm. to, and he, he revises. Um, so your work focuses on Dylan's other visual art. Um, and I've loved listening to your work on that. So what drew you to the visual art? So, I mean, I, I think there are almost like two answers to this. One is the very practical answer that, I'm based in London and the Halcyon Gallery is here. 
mm-hmm. which often exhibits Bob Dylan's work. So I have just been able to go see it, which a lot of people are not able to. Um, and so I think inspired by that, I've just thought about it more than a lot of people probably who maybe only see kind of like a JPEG mm-hmm. online. Um, so that's, I mean, I think that's already, you know, a an advantage that I have. <laughs> but then mm-hmm. also I think um, the way I see it for all the reasons that we've already outlined, Bob Dylan is an artist in, you know, the truest sense. And he has chosen different media to express himself. And usually he chooses the medium of writing and the medium of performance and the medium of playing. I mean, I put this performance, I guess, but like, you know, performance being playing different instruments and singing and then writing. And I think the visual art is just another language for him to express certain ideas. And, but I very much see Dylan, the artist shining through in all of those media, in all of those art forms. And I think that um, I see similar themes emerging. I see the sense of humor coming through. I, I, I very much just see Bob Dylan, the artist, is ex- expressing himself in a different way. And that to me is always fascinating. And um, I know that a lot of fans either don't take interest in, in the visual art and I you know, there's everyone's right. I mean, some people are just interested in Bob Dylan for the music, and I think that's right. fair. Uh, but at the same time, I have seen some pretty harsh criticism, and I just always think, while I absolutely don't think that Bob Dylan is beyond criticism, I also think that, um, and no one is obliged to like everything he does, but I do also think that there is, I, I personally don't think that critics should assume that they are smarter than the artist right when they are quick to dismiss something um and i think that when i see something by an artist that i admire like bob dylan you know i i do think that even if it doesn't resonate with me immediately i i try to kind of hold out on judgment and have some patience while I maybe engage with the work a little bit to see if it maybe opens up more, if there's more to be discovered. And, you know, usually I find that there is something there that I find compelling. And um, I mean, certainly with the visual art, I started thinking about it and writing about it. And often it was in that process that I was like, oh my God, okay, now I get it. Now I understand. And now I see how it relates to all the other things that he's done recently. I mean, you know, um, for your book, I got to explore a lot of that. And and honestly, going going into the writing of that chapter, which is about time and time, but this treatment of time in his really post rough and rowdy ways work. I did not think that I would be writing about the visual art so much and that it would but relate so much. Yeah, <laughs> that it would relate so much. And I'm and I'm so I'm so grateful for the opportunity because that really helped me unlock the visual art or a lot of the visual art um in the process of writing. Well having just read your chapter last night or reread your chapter last <laughs> night, um 
It is, it's fascinating how you, you find that intersection. And that was one of my questions or what are the themes that you see in his visual work that you've also found in his lyrics or his music or other work in that you, you express that so seamlessly in that chapter about his concepts of time, which obviously that's a major theme mm -hmm. throughout his entire work. But it's just, you know, you bring in retrospectum, which, you know, you, you just do a lovely job of that. So um, thank you. I, I, yeah, I'm really encouraged and I don't want to talk too much about the book, but I just, having just read through so many of the proofs, I'm mm -hmm. really, I'm more excited and energized now about it than I was, you know, maybe a week or so ago. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, I'm so looking forward to the book. It's such a beautiful project and it's Thank so you. many, so many wonderful writers are included in it. So I think it will be. I thank you. I'm just grateful that I was sitting at a conf concert with my parents and I thought, this is a really, and I knew what the set lists were, but again, the difference between reading something and actually experiencing it and the performance, mm -hmm. this is really dark. And then I gave a paper and court was brilliant enough to say, uh, we should do a book on this. And then there's so many people that I respect and that I consider not only colleagues, but friends who've graciously contributed. And it's just, it's, just a really wonderful project so mm. I'm just grateful to everyone but well, I'm grateful I'm grateful that I get to be a part of it and the the irony doesn't escape me that a few years after dropping out of my PhD I'm now presenting at conferences and um, <laughs> I, I get to be in a Routledge book and you know so it's 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 very it's very funny that's like that's, I, I see a sense of humor the universe has a sense of humor <laughs> but thank you so much first and foremost to you and court for asking me to be a part of it well thank you but it's very dylan-esque that you defined your own terms of your success so there you go yeah. so what are you working on in the 80s book that hopefully we'll work on um but, mm -hmm. but what are you working on now other than the podcast and working with rebecca and all of the mm. things that we've mentioned yeah so i mean i just published that conversation with rebecca so good. which was such a fun one to record and I am really hoping that we can continue that conversation because I don't know I I feel like it shouldn't be such a radical thing to have two women talking about Bob Dylan but right. it still some somehow is so I I do want to make space for that on the podcast because because of everything that we talked about, because I think that things will come up in those conversations that, you know, have just previously not really been discussed. So yeah. I am really excited about that. Um, and especially also because what I've done so far on the podcast before that, the radio show um, for a while was conversations that I had with my partner, Robert. Mm -hmm which were always interesting I thought and when I started the podcast I mostly left those conversations behind to focus on more in-depth studies and kind of audio essays and those are important to me because <laughs> they allow me to write about something that I'm interested in and explore something and go down the rabbit hole on mm -hmm. a certain topic and also just, you know, because I feel like no one else is, you know, 
because those are the topics that I just find like no one else is writing about it. So I want to write about them, but also because it takes me a while to produce those because of my process. I, I do really want to bring back more of those conversations because first of all, I think they're really fun to listen to as well and fun to mm -hmm. record. Oh, you and guys talking about dirty world was just <laughs> so good. Yeah. I like <laughs> that too. Like, yes. I, I I thought, you know, I thought there were a handful of us that loved that song, but I was just so glad to hear you talking about it. Yeah, I'm so it was it was a really great conversation. I I feel like we we hit the ground running and already touched on you know, every single song that we talked about could have been an episode in and of itself. So absolutely. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next one. Uh, and I think Rebecca is up for it. So I think we will continue, continue that exploration. So but I am also working on one of my uh, kind of more in-depth episodes. That I'm really excited about because I, I did part one on murder ballads talking about, mm -hmm. you know, so good. It's thank you. <laughs> And but but the thing is like that that episode which is about uh you know the murder ballads from the folk tradition that Bob Dylan yes. sang early on in his career and then how he kind of channeled that into songs of social justice and how how he kind of used the drama of these murder ballads to hone his own writing and to also write these very emotional and kind of dramatic heavyweight songs heavy hitting songs. And, but the thing is, like, that episode almost came about as a necessity to get to what I actually want to talk about, which mm -hmm. is the um, Bob Dylan's tendency, really, since Time Out of Mind, and Grayley Heron has written about that in his fantastic yeah. book on Time Out of Mind, but then also Love and Theft, not so much modern times, but Tempest, together through life I think uh, and you know onwards mostly 21st mm -hmm. century starting with time out of mind to bring these sinister undertones into his songs mm -hmm. often his love songs and that has just fascinated me ever since I realized that you know ever mm -hmm. since I ever since I had the thought that moonlight on love and theft right Pat, kind of, you know, I'm preaching peace and harmony, the blessings of tranquility, yet I know when the time is right to strike. Right. You know, I, I'll take you across the river, dear. There's no need to mm -hmm. linger here. I know the kinds of things you like. So ever since I kind of made that connection, I've been fascinated with it. And I have, you know, I've written about 40 or 50 pages already, but the, 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 the way that I work is, you know, that I just, I, I think about it and I never really fully know where my thoughts are going to go when I, when I start with it. I always start with a hunch and then kind of <laughs> I write and I think about it until kind of the, the, the story kind of reveals itself to me. <laughs> and, but, but, but I'm fascinated with, I'm fascinated with this topic because I think it's so subversive mm -hmm. and I'm interested in the moral implications of it. I'm interested in, by extension, the, the, the role of art to, provoke a response um how do we feel about these songs kind of in an age of you know cancel culture in an age where we uh, often have this idea that art has kind of a moral responsibility uh and a responsibility of representation and and all of those things 
so that's that's what I'm to- but that's why I'm thinking about and it's it you know the more I think about it the more I I just see the strands kind of reaching out into all and into so much of Dylan's work and now it's just a matter of kind of you know trying to tell that story I feel like I feel like the term storyteller is so overused now but but I do really think in order to talk about this in a way to hopefully bring people along on my uh, thought process I have to make it a certain I have to find like a thread running through so that's that's what I'm working on but it's um, I'm looking forward to that and yeah. I did kind of to speak to what you're saying about the tone. That's why I heard to be alone with you in such an mm-hmm. ominous way mm-hmm. when you saw totally. it in, in DC. It, yeah. It, it was dark. That's a big one. <laughs> yeah. That's a really that's that that's one of the um that's one of the ones that is obviously the most recent example mm-hmm. because he's right. rewritten that for Shadow Kingdom. But mm-hmm. it's 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 one in a series of songs where there is there's a dark undertone and kind of like threatening undertone so and and, even the the way he you know the vocalization of it it just it felt strange to me in that moment (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's there's definitely like it's it's ominous in a way you know it's like do I want to be alone with this person (laughs) is it safe to be alone with this person (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to see him in the alley but um Uh, so what is your favorite Bob Dylan memory? This is my last question for you. Ooh. I know it's hard. I mean, how can you just choose one? How can you choose just one? I know. It's the other yesterday, David said, What's that Bob Dylan song you love? And I looked at him like, Are you kidding? What do you mean? <laughs> I said, and he said, I know, I heard it as soon as I said it. <laughs> I mean, I have so I have so many incredible Bob Dylan memories, and I mean that's that's the joy of feeling such a bond with an artist's work and the community that has accumulated around it. You know, that there's something about seeing him for the first time when I was 17. Oh, tell me and, about and just, that. And I mean, the first I con- went to concert. I went to Zurich. Um, he was playing in a pretty large stadium and I went with my mother who did not listen to Bob Dylan growing up. I introduced her to Bob Dylan and she's since become more of a fan and she might be listening to this. So if you're listening, hello, mama. Oh, that's very sweet. (laughs) Um, But we had seats kind of in the side and when Bob Dylan and the band came on stage, all of a sudden there was a rush and people got out of their seats and rushed towards the stage, much like they did in Rome. The second mm-hmm. ever time that that happened was at the last concert that I was at in um, on beginning of July in Rome. Although there was towards the very end, towards the ending of the last song in mm-hmm. Zurich in 2002, it was at the very beginning. And I said to my mom, I was like, please, can we go? We have to go. We have to go. <laughs> and she said, you know, I'm going to stay here, but you should go. And so I ran down the stairs and unfortunately I was held back by the bouncer, but the bouncer allowed me to stand a lot closer to the stage than I than our seats were. And I watched the concert from there. And, you know, I swear he looked at me at some point. I swear he saw my big smile. Your Buddy and Holly he, moment. Yeah, this, I mean, 
you know, I, I, I felt that. And I just, I've, there's just something, I mean, that's why we go see live music, right? There's something spiritual right. about experiencing the moment of creation together to the moment of performance and to be physically in the same space with an artist and watching and hearing them do their thing in front of your mm -hmm. own eyes and to feel feel it viscerally through the speakers and so on so I mean that was that was incredible um what a special memory with your mom too yeah yeah, yeah. and that. we've seen we, we've since seen a few concerts together and uh it's always it's always wonderful and and very very special and you know I also want to mention the community that has kind of you know, the community of Dylan fans. And I, I also feel so incredibly grateful for the community that's kind of accumulated around definitely Dylan. Because when we were all hanging out in Tulsa. In the lobby. In the <laughs> lobby. <laughs> I, I don't know if that counts as a Bob Dylan moment, but of course it Bob does. Dylan was at the center of everything. So to me, that was one of the most beautiful moments. Honestly, I just... Yeah, the moment where you said, you said, what I love about Dylan's, you know, this Dylan community is that we're all so positive and we want each other to succeed. And I've said that so many times that I don't want anything negative in this space that, mm. you know, I just want, you know, positivity and support and generosity. And you, yeah. you articulated that about us. And also when you were thirsty, I thought that was funny. And I was like, I'm on it. <laughs> like, I'm on it. You know <laughs> that I looked so determined. You were so determined. I, I feel like I saw a new side to you that night. I realized that you make things happen. I just, I was like, Aaron. I mean, it. I mean, what well, I, I just had this vision that night. How wonderful our group was in the sense that everyone brought their personal essence to our crew. And contributed something so essential, you know, That's and I just, great. I just, I just, I just saw how everyone was so integral, such an integral part. And I just, I was so, I was so happy that every person was a part of it. And yep. I just felt nothing but love and positivity mm -hmm. in, in that moment. And, you know, how often can you say that, that, that you have a group and you just, you're so grateful for every single person and, and, and you so genuinely are interested in what everyone has to say and you're yeah. rooting for one another and it, it was yes. it, it felt it felt so special it, it was one of my it was one of my favorite moments you know this year ever <laughs> no but it was it, 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 it was it was very very important to me very very important to me I I concur David calls it and I call it too Bob Dylan sleepaway camp where yeah. we're all going <laughs> to talk yeah. about Bob Dylan all day yeah. and I just come home with you know with incredible energy and I'm mm -hmm. happy and, but also I'm a little bit down because I want to mm. wake up and talk about Bob Dylan and, yeah. yeah but it's just because there's something so beautiful at the heart of you know what what brings us all together I think that's what accounts for all the positivity and because it's just fundamentally a wonderful thing that we all love so nothing but love and positive nothing but love and positivity and good vibes agreed so is there anything else you'd like to share I just want to thank you this has been a lot of fun um oh, I appreciate this time with you I love this conversation I I you know 
It's it's been great, and I think the questions that you sent were also just like really wonderful and Thank so thought provoking. Is there anything that. else that I think we should talk about? See, I didn't make any notes for that question. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should have. Um, I thought, oh, you know, that probably that probably arise like out of the <laughs> remaining conversation. Um, let me have a look at my notes. I would talk about Bob Dylan all day, every day. So yeah. <laughs> um I don't know I think I said everything that I wanted to okay that I wanted to say which is also kind of nice that um nice. yeah I think that's all right well, <laughs> well I'm gonna David always leaves this in when I say I'm gonna stop recording now okay thank you so much again for your time and now I will stop recording Thank you for listening to the Dillentons Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to have the Dillentons sent directly to your inbox. And share the Dillentons on social media.